3: The I Love You So Much podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands, including Hilton, Embassy Suites by Hilton, Doubletree by Hilton, Hampton Inn & Suites, and Home to Suites by Hilton. See more, save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com.
4: So about 10 or 12 years ago, my husband and I moved to Beijing, China, so he could be a rock and roll star. (laughs) It didn't work out quite the way we thought, but we ended up eating a lot of really awesome food. We had developed this crazy spice threshold, so when we moved to Austin and I would order something um, hot, it would taste mild, which was really surprising. (laughs) So now it's about 10 years later, and I'm back to regular mild, hot, medium, and uh, it's been an adventure. I'm Mary Helen Leonard. This is I Love You So Much.
5: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host,
4: Tali Mosley.
5: I'm Omar Gayaga,
4: And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman.
5: This week on the show, we talk to the head of Rooster Teeth Animation, Gray Haddock, and writer Evan Nurses about their work on a new star-studded series, Genlock that will debut in January. How did this Austin project get Michael B. Jordan and Dakota Fanning, among others, on board this sci-fi anime? Austin's
4: first immersive selfie museum, the FOMO Factory, is here. Creator and Austin local, Rachel Ewens tells us what it's like to leave adulthood behind and return to childhood by journeying through seven rooms of iconic, youthful memories, all while snapping selfies along the way.
3: Ben Milam was a hero of the Texas Revolution, but that's not why you might be toasting him. His descendant, Marcia Milam, created a whiskey in his name inspired by the beautifully zen distilleries she discovered in Kentucky. Today on the show, she and distiller Marlene Holmes talk about what goes into handcrafted whiskey and gives us pointers on how to drink it.
5: We'll end, as always, with our recommendations in a toast, but first, Gray Haddock and Evan Narciss. We spoke to them at this year's big RTX event at the Austin Convention Center about Rooster Teeth's biggest new project, an epic animated series that Gray created and that Evan, a writer on the Rise of the Black Panther comic, contributed to. Here's that interview.
3: Tell us what Genlock is, because we're not going to see this until like January. Yeah, it'll
2: debut on roosterteeth.com in January of 2019, uh, which part of me is is okay we've got we got a little more time to polish and part of me is i just want this thing out in the world uh but yeah uh started as uh an idea wow it's um two summers ago that uh we'd been going through about a nine month pitch process internal to rooster teeth rooster teeth one of the things I, i love about the company is how open and eager they are to hearing about any new cool idea from anyone that works in the company and uh uh, we've been working on a little show called Ruby. And Ruby uh we we, we wanted to spread our wings in terms of the type of offerings that Rich Teeth Animation puts out. We wanted to make sure that we had, uh, we demonstrate different storytelling styles and we're talking to different potential audience and we're also kind of shaking up our aesthetic and and doing different things with the the technology and the approach to animation. And, And the company was trying to decide, well, what story do you want to tell next if that's one of the goals? And we also kind of wanted to demonstrate to the world that we're not a one hit wonder we absolutely didn't understand what we were stumbling into backwards uh, with the Ruby audience, um, but we, but we, we wanted to appreciate that and then also say that we can do this again. So, uh, again, we went through a nine-month process, uh, went through a whole bunch of ideas, uh, went through a couple of different rounds of pitching that went to the company-level creative committee, and then they would kind of decide, oh, we love this idea, but this is a not-right-now story. We don't want to pivot quite so differently into certain types of storytelling. That'll be a couple of years from now sort of project. Oh, this one. Uh, you know what? We, we like the beginnings of that story, but um, we should put that one back in development and let it bake for a little while longer. And after a couple of rounds of that, one of the ideas that I had pitched was select by Matt and Bernie and the other creative executives at the company, and we were greenlit to go into early development, which means that we had to kind of come up with a show bible. Uh, I wrote up the the description of the world and the character breakdown and the pilot script and a, and a season description with all the episodes and got hooked up with some very talented artists who – began to explore what the characters in the world could look like and we put this book together and showed it to them and this is a couple of months later they went great you're done with development uh, you better get going we want this to be a show as quickly as possible and that was exactly a year ago that we got Greenlit to go into production it uh, it was a couple weeks after that, that uh, we announced at RTX 2017 that, uh, hey, congratulations, we're following up Ruby with this thing called Jinlock. We've got nothing to show you yet. <laughs> but uh, stay tuned. See you next year. And and now we're here, and we're going to talk about it tonight at uh, the Rooster Teeth Animation Mega Panel that's happening. Jinlock is uh, kind of a Western spin on uh, Japanese animated mecha shows. So this is kind of like if you took um, some of your favorite ingredients from uh, Gundam or Full Metal Panic and Ghost in the Shell and a little dash of Akira and, and uh, I, I, again, I could spend an hour just rattling off the influences, but I put all that stuff into a blender and then tried to make a cool, big sci-fi idea, action story that... You know, it could also just be a, a live-action summer blockbuster if you had the budget for it. But in our particular case, we're going to animate it, and uh, it's going to come out as a eight-episode by eh, give or take uh, twenty-two minutes per ep uh, season. Yeah, starting top of next year.
6: Talk to me, Evan, about the differences
0: between writing for comics and writing for animation, and, um, and the extent to which that was the difficulty of that dive. It's weird because. Uh, Writing in comics is uh, freezing time. Um, I actually wrote an article on io9. Uh, the headline was "Things I Didn't Know About Writing Comics Until I Wrote Comics," um, and despite being a critic, who's written about comics for like almost two decades, um, if not more, at this point, uh, you know, until you like are actually doing the craft, certain things remain like mysterious. So, like, you know, the point I just made writing a comics is freezing time you, you only really should be showing one action per panel right um, um, you can you can dress that up with different words and and and, um, and the artwork obviously um, can layer on another uh, a bit of meaning um, into what's happening on a particular panel but uh, really economy is key there mm-hmm. the, the, the thing I realized when I was working on stuff for Genlock is that you could do more than one thing. You know, you can <laughs> you you can you can describe a scene that has several different things going on. It was incredibly freeing. Um, so that was a great realization to be like, oh, okay, I have to um, broaden my um, conception of what's possible in a, in a particular sequence. Um, that said, uh, you know, there are moments when I was writing scenes in the black and for Rise of the Black Panther where I was like, okay, I can have the 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 art and the characters' expressions. Be saying or doing or meaning one thing, and I can have uh, the words their dialogue say another. Right, so you can you can create a kind of um, paradoxical like alchemy. Right, mm-hmm. um, I found I I wasn't able to do that writing animation. Maybe I'm just not as good as Gray or other people who are more seasoned <laughs> at it. This is
2: exactly what I wanted to hear. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I found like okay, you have to the 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 vector of like intentionality. Um, has to be a lot clearer, clearer, and stronger, and more direct in animation because you want you want to maintain momentum and 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 that sense of being pulled along. Um, um, there's, there, I could slow things down in a comic to. Um, emphasize certain themes and you do that still in animation but i feel like i could really let a moment breathe when i want the characters to connect to each other or whatever you can't you can't be that indulgent in animation i I felt like or at least the stuff i've done so far yeah you you control you control the tempo right a lot more and in comics that's definitely true yeah. yeah and in 22 minutes you've got to get from a to b and, yeah. Uh, make sure you're there <laughs> by the end.
2: Yeah, I mean, and uh, I think Gen Genlock is going to be a pretty dense show. There's so many ideas that we're trying to get out per episode and across this first season. This is how this team comes together, and really what's going on with their technology and some of the implications of that. And uh, um, but that's the, the, the balancing act between exposition and action was quite the trick on this one.
0: The narrative ambition of the show is what pulled me in. Like, I could have said no to this, right? I really, if it wasn't something that not, didn't interest me. But but when Gray started talking about what he wanted to try and do and, and what he and the rest of the team had envisioned as kind of like the thematic pillars of the show, I was really excited by that. And then once you start getting the characters' particular um, backstories and, and and conflicts with each other, like it, it, if there, it felt like there was a lot of meat on the bone um, um, to to chew and savor. Uh, Gray, as
3: we were leading up to RTX, uh, a lot of the announcements that I was seeing these last couple of weeks have had to do with voice casting for the show. Yeah. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is the lead character. Uh, Dakota Fanning is in it. David Tennant was announced as is a character recently. That's great. Uh, how did all that start to materialize? Cause it seems like I guess once you have one big star in it. Like, the others start to kind of... Yeah, it, it
2: certainly helped accelerate some things after that, but um, the the way that got started was because uh, Michael B. Jordan actually had no small amount of influence on the early art concept exploration phase for the show, where uh, it was September of 2017 that our art director, Michael Pedro, came on board, and... Um, one of the first things uh, I wanted to work with him on was we we needed to lock down our lead protagonist and and really figure out his look. I had been able to um, ask some of the, the the artists working on another show, Ruby, uh, borrow some cycles from them in the downtime between seasons of that particular show. It's like, hey, you want to do some development on Genlock? And they were able to help me start to do some early exploration. And then it was really time to go ahead and take the ingredients from that stuff that we had discovered that was working and then f- finish out the rest of the design. And um, what I'd asked uh, Michael to do was uh, include as part of the the brief for the stuff I wanted to be developing was – and. You know, I, I what if this character were going to be played by Michael B. Jordan in, in the you know big budget live action version of it? Then how would that inform um, kind of finishing out certain details about this character? And I would say that there's also certain, um, there were certain uh, actors whose performances uh, I loved so much that during the writing process it kind of helped me during certain moments of being stuck <coughs> to go ahead and um, imagine. What if that particular um, um, actor were trying to interpret this character? What would they do with it? What would that sound like? And Michael was part of that process for me, which got me through um, some interesting <laughs> times on the script writing. So when, uh, in December of last year, when production said, okay, well, will tell you going on casting, who do you have in mind? no one said not to start at the very top so we uh <laughs> this was, was pre Black Panther too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah exactly that's something that I wanted everybody I want to just get to the I want to shout from the rooftops people don't understand that we started the conversations with him this is before Black Panther came out this was like uh, we, we submitted the first passing material like six or seven weeks ahead of its launch and this was before the subsequent, uh, the, the memes about the fact that he's also um, an anime fan. Um, that he's, he's also a fellow otaku. So uh, it was the hardest thing in the world to keep my mouth shut <laughs> or my thumb off the tweet button during that phase. But I'm like, but but we're about to tell everyone about the. It's not in reaction to what's going on. Okay, fine. So... Um, Anyway, we uh, we submitted a package of material to uh, Michael's agency uh, going into the holidays in December, knowing that uh, it's it's the end of the year. This is this is going to be a mess. I don't know if we're ever going to hear it back, and, and the odds aren't great that that the timing is demanding that we kind of start this process right now. And and the, the holidays and the new year came and went. We you know hadn't really heard anything, but in the middle of January we get a, a message back saying that they had indeed put the material in front of Michael and that. Um, the answer wasn't a no. And the, 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 <laughs> sheer, the sheer fact that that was the case, uh, we were ecstatic. Uh, wow, someone's actually talking to us. Uh, we've got people of that caliber that are interested in the project. And um, the, just the process continued from there. They asked to see some more material. We, we built up some more decks and actually began sending over the scripts for the first half of the season. And it was a day right at the end of February where uh, I'd actually taken the day off from work to uh try and hit another writing deadline when i get a call from our producer for the show saying that hey man um yeah so i just got off the phone with the agency and michael b jordan wants to play julian chase and then i was somehow expected to continue writing for the rest of the day (laughs) (laughs) yeah which you know it's yeah no pressure so after that i learned all sorts of things about myself in terms of uh uh, whole new versions of writer's block start to kick. It's like, oh, no, I, that, that next word sucks. I can't use that. Michael's not going to want to say that. And so yeah, that, if uh, I wouldn't change a thing, the process has been unbelievable. I, I still feel like I'm going to dream of on the whole thing. But um, if I had been able, if I could just tweak one thing, if I had just been able to wrap up the scripts first before some of this crazy casting kicked in, then I would have, a, I would have been a lot less stressed.
0: Well, but, it's funny because I don't know I'm probably telling tales out of school here, but whatever uh it. uh when you first told me about David Tennant, I started hearing his character's voice in a totally different way mm. and it did make it feel a little bit easier, like to be like, okay, like how how this scene would play, like um you know imagining his voice saying it um and 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 the stuff I worked on for for for, for chase like. I mean totally it was in in in, in, in Michael's voice in my head the, the the interesting thing the weird thing for me is I was in the process of writing a Black Panther miniseries with a killmonger in it right um, and kill his version of Killmonger from the movie did not affect my conception of the character whatsoever mm-hmm. so it's again it's a it's like the question that Joe asked before the differences it's like okay like Writing Rise of the Black Panther, I had 50 years of history to go off of, and that was like my the the reservoir I was I was drawing yeah, from totally. for for that. And I knew I was making some changes to the character of Killmonger, even as he'd been um, portrayed in the comics. Uh, but there wasn't like a real life person <laughs> that I was like, okay, here's what that's gonna sound like. Um, but with this, it was like, oh, you know chase is going to be doing this in this scene and you know yeah i remember from creed when he had a moment with uh, a character and how he would play that scene or how that might sound and then that that actually i found it helped the writing
2: yeah i mean for me it's uh it's any any trick that you can bust out that lets you get that first draft out of your head and onto the page and then after that then you can go ahead and still see like what's what's in bounds what you should you lose because okay maybe you lost the voice here or there whatever but um just making your mistakes and getting it uh into your final draft file uh sooner so you can start editing is just going to save your butt in the long run so
0: you're just going to be screwed when tenant insists on doing it with a brooklyn accent
2: (laughs) yeah it's a whole new vision for the part but no, it's been it's been crazy. I've been um, <clears throat> doing both a bunch of traveling as well as uh, directing remotely over the course of the last month or two, and it is uh, thank goodness uh, I can finally start replacing. Uh, I, I, I recorded all the temp for all the characters. I basically read read the scripts, handed that audio to our editorial staff because um, once we had certain casting opportunities, we had to be very flexible about the approach of production. Meaning that normally what we would do is. Uh, You write the scripts, you then simultaneously start recording, uh, you you cast, and you get the vocal performances at the same time as the director works with the storyboard artist and puts together the equivalent of comic book panels. And you mate those storyboards and your audio, and you begin to get as close as possible to the final timing that you're going to want to want for that dialogue. Sure. and all that. And um, we had to get going. There was no way to not hit certain milestones with the production. We needed to be in boards, had to have our animatics, needed to be animating by a certain time. But oh, by the way, all these fantastic casting opportunities are now kicking in. Okay, so uh, here's what we're going to do, gang. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to give you a temp version of the audio with how I'm currently hearing everything in my head declaring sort of an intention of this is the pace and intonation that I'm intending to direct the actors into and then we'll see what additional magic they bring and if they do something crazy cool with it that changes our timing well then we'll just roll with it and uh the poor crew has been listening to... I've never hated the sound of my voice so much. <laughs> uh, have, you know, spent months animating... Can you give us that again, Gray? The, yeah, I've, no. I've never... I've, 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 can you say that again I've as never, David Tennant? Right, yeah. Oh, I've never... No. Uh, I, yeah, it's... Uh, after a couple of months of everyone having to work with the temp audio, it's finally the case that we're actually hearing these characters talk to each other, and the whole thing's coming to life, and all the paranoia about whether or not this whole experiment was going to work is actually... Starting to calm down.
3: Well, it's kind of remarkable that the that the person that you sought out to help write on the series like happened to be in Austin as well. So, like, what, what's been what's it been like having all these creative people? I mean, I don't know that the voice actors are actually coming to Austin, but I mean, what's it been like working on this in Austin with Austin animators and all the people here in town?
2: Oh, I love it! It's um, the sheer fact that uh, I can. That, that, that we've got this burgeoning animunity anim, excuse me burgeoning animation community animunity so anim, so. animunity yeah and yeah, you know, an, a, an, an, an a certain immunity the to animunity. pronunciation but uh, I, I love the fact that this is taken off here in central Texas and uh, we've got 150 people employed at Rooster Teeth animation just in our studio alone that Jeez. we have not had to take off for LA or Atlanta or any of their major animation hubs yet that were Right here in the hometown, able to uh, put together this studio that's working on a half dozen different titles, and our programming slate is growing. We're, yeah, we're a uh, w- little bit of perspective. I am um, a couple of weeks away from my seven year anniversary being with the company. When I came on board, uh, I was like uh, unofficial somewhere in the, the employee number, teens, whatever it was. And uh, in terms of the number of people that were working on, the show that the company was founded on Red versus Blue, and to everyone out there that's saying, Oh, you guys make that show? Is it still running? The answer is yes. We just finished season 16. Um, yeah, but when I came on board, it was RVB 9, and there were, you know, maybe about 10 of us in the corner that uh, they would pull off of. Uh, you know, editing duties and being a camera operator for the live action crew or whatever else you did around the company, and you would spend five or six months making a season of Red versus Blue, and then you'd go back to whatever else you did around the company. And um, yeah, to, to grow from that team of about 10, 12 people to, you know, seven years later, uh, by, by the end of this summer, the permanent headcount at RT Animation will be, yeah, 150, and that's not including the additional. Uh, uh, temporary employees or, or outsourcing that we do and we're, we're growing the production slate we're actually going to be continuing to grow over the next year, year and a half I can't predict what the company's ever going to be up to six months out uh, being one of the um, business leaders inside the company, you have your 12 month plan, your three and five year goals and all that. And uh, I I go through those exercises, but I I can still never really tell you exactly what we're going to be up to um, just even a few months out. And the only constant at the company is change. So uh, yeah, there's been some crazy big moves over the last several years. I think Ruby was one of the biggest examples at the time of, uh, yeah, you're right, this is the company that you know us for our reverent comedy and, and uh, machinima and all that jazz. And um, because the, the founders of the company are, again, open to whatever's really calling us, even if it's not necessarily something perfectly in our wheelhouse, then that they're, they're that much more interested in diversifying and, and trying it. It's, it's, it's cool, it keeps people working at the company from getting bored, it strengthens the company's portfolio, it, it gives the audience something new to check out, and uh, you know, since then, since Ruby started, the company has done their first live action
0: movie,
2: uh, we've gone into video games, we've, you know, uh, the convention this is still booming, and, uh, and, and they're not done. There's all sorts of crazy cool announcements on the horizon about just what the company's gonna go, get up to next.
3: Well, Gray and Evan, thank you so much for joining us. And we're, we're looking forward to Genlock. Thanks so Thanks much. for I having appreciate us, appreciate the support.
2: Nice appreciate yeah, take care.
3: The I Love You So Much podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands, including Hilton. Embassy Suites by Hilton. Doubletree by Hilton, Hampton Inn & Suites, and Home to Suites by Hilton. See more, save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com.
5: Inspired by her own childhood, Rachel Ewens has designed an art experience that will throw you back, way back. The FOMO Factory promises to deliver the tastes, sounds, and even smells that bring you back to the best days of your life. We decided to check it out for ourselves.
3: We are at the FOMO Factory uh, under construction, so by the time you hear this, it will be completed, but we're in the midst of the... Uh, hammering and the, uh, the putting bills. things up, yeah. So if you hear some background uh, construction, that's what's happening. But that's we're how here with FOMO gets made. Rachel Owens, mm-hmm. and she is the the uh, mastermind of this. So tell us what the FOMO factory is.
7: Yeah. So first of all, I want to say what FOMO stands for, because not everybody knows. It's fear of missing out, um, and it's that feeling. Say your friends invite you to an awesome party, and you're too tired to go, and then you see all their awesome social media pictures. FOMO is the feeling you get. You wish you'd been there. So that's what FOMO stands for. The FOMO Factory is an immersive art space designed for taking selfies. It's got a little bit of theatrical element put into it. Um, We're going to have oversized art. We're going to have cast members that interact with you. There's over 20 selfie opportunities within the FOMO Factory. You'll get little tasty treats. And it is themed around a journey through childhood. So... It's really going to tug on that nostalgia of, you know, think the mash games you played when you were little, uh, cootie catchers, toys, lockers, that school dance that you awkwardly danced with somebody (laughs) at. Um, So, yeah, it's really a theme that's never been done in one of these before childhood. So we're really excited to, to bring it to Austin. What what inspired this? I mean, I know there are some places that our listeners might have heard of.
4: I mean, the only one I had heard of was the Museum of Ice Cream, but apparently this is a big deal, especially in New York and San Francisco.
7: Yeah. um, So this is a really emerging space. These have really only been around for the past year or two. The queen of them is Mary Ellis Bunn, who is with the Museum of Ice Cream. And we definitely took inspiration from the Museum of Ice Cream, but we kind of brought it in our own way um so I, I was living in san francisco um up until a couple months ago uh, in san francisco we have heaps of these we have that lady thing which is a feminist theme one where rather than a ball pit it's a giant pit of breasts
3: uh, <laughs> i'm sorry what was the address <laughs> uh
7: we have one called the color factory which has been a great inspiration to us um, we have Museum of Ice Cream. In L.A., there's probably 10 or 15 of these. In no- New York, there's probably 20. And it really came as a shock to me that there wasn't one of these in Austin. Why Why wouldn't there be? See,
3: it seems like when we get these is during South by Southwest. Yeah, it feels like an activation and, kind of a thing. Yeah, and then it's overload. There's competing, you know, exactly. 50 of them, and you can't go to all of them, and some of them are disappointing. I feel like, spread the whimsy around, like, all year, <laughs> not? Also,
7: you know, and I, I love South by Southwest. I'm a tremendous fan, but it's... You know, it's really relegated kind of that tech elite mm-hmm. and the digital people. It's not kid friendly, so really this is this is all ages. Um, one thing that's really notable to me is that it's alcohol free. Um, I, I drink. I love to drink. It's it's something I enjoy, but I think there's a real lack of alcohol free spaces for adults to mm-hmm. connect, and I think adults also struggle to be playful and whimsical mm-hmm. and have fun without alcohol is an excuse for that so a a real thing we want to do is shake you up break you out of your shyness break you out of your adulthood and, and get you being really really silly and do it all without alcohol well, all the colors. I mean, we're only in one of the rooms that's completed
4: right now and there's piñata strips on the wall. There's cu- half there's cupcakes and forks and all these beautiful like presents on the wall. Your co-creator is making a giant birthday cake. There is a giant birthday cake.
3: And the cups and forks are suspended on the wall yes. like it's like it's like wallpaper. Like of- you could
4: take a fork and just like eat one of the cupcakes don't they look realistic they, do, too? they totally do um but this is the former Hun- Headhunters space I, I think it was even another bar since then but it's on red river street um how tell, tell us how this space sort of served your needs for this particular event
7: yeah so everyone's seen this location it's just kind of a weird and you know it's one of the funniest things whenever i tell people we're in that old Headhunters location they're like really yeah. we're, we're
3: like catty corner to Stubbs. we can see it out the window uh-huh. from here yeah
7: um, it's a weird little funky location. It's got a crazy history. It dates back to the 1900s. It's been—I I went through the city papers on the uses for it. It was used as a church for a while. It's been a restaurant. Um, it was headhunters, so we're we're ripping out all this tiki material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it famously went through a show called Bar Rescue, where it became a steampunk bar oh, that I man. think was like yeah. a
3: oh the steampunk bar yes okay. metal
7: and lace it yeah. became a steampunk bar briefly and then it got bought by world-class uh, properties and it really became kind of nothing it's been used for south by southwest and not really anything else um what I really liked about this location, and as you can kind of feel up here, it feels like a house. Mm-hmm. It feels like a home. There
4: are all these little rooms upstairs that I had forgotten existed. Yeah,
7: well, yeah. and a lot of people haven't ever been upstairs here, so I think it's got an air of mystery to it. Every room
3: leads to another room, so it feels like a path versus yeah. like closed doors. Yeah.
7: And I just love this feeling of, like, you're. I'm inviting you into my home. Um, it feels like you're at your, you know... you're you're visiting someone's house and I I think that's an element to these spaces is there's a certain voyeuristic quality especially with something like Meow Wolf I would also Meow Wolf's a cousin of these sort of installations Mm -hmm. I would consider but I think one thing people love about Meow Wolf is you enter this home that you can peek through the door doors and go through their computer and read their newspaper um so this feeling I think people are going to have of not just entering a warehouse space with tilted walls uh but to really enter what feels like a home is really special.
3: And you were telling us as we were kind of going through the the virtual imaginative tour, mm-hmm. <laughs> where we, we're not seeing it yet, but we're seeing it, uh, was things like, you know, toys on the wall that people mm-hmm. can actually play with and doing karaoke together and things like that. It's like, how, how much of it did you want it to be like hands-on, interactive, having fun versus just seeing cool things and taking pictures?
7: Yeah, so... It's interesting. I, I think I'm still even trying to understand this whole selfie thing. And and uh, it is slightly vapid. And it is a little, you know, self-serving. And, but to me, this is so much more than selfies. It's... An introduction into art and theater and art the words art and the words theater are polarizing words Mm -hmm. art is expensive arts for rich people uh theater you gotta dress nice to go to a theater you know there are these ideas people have about what art and theater is but people know what selfies are and people know what the value of a new profile pic is and stuff so to me i wouldn't describe it as a bait and switch but it's an easily accessible way into art and theater that people can wrap their head around and understand so i think um yes there's there's things here we have pinata walls and we have cupcakes and lockers and all this and there's things but what's really the heart of this and what we're in in the process of right now is hiring and it's these staff members that are going to play with you and just like a disney considers them cast members we consider them cast members so in our in our ball pit room they're going to be wearing a whistle and they're going to be like a lifeguard and they're going to remind you not to pee in our ball pool and uh, yeah, it's,
3: it's awesome they might need a reminder so. <laughs> in our
7: in our school room they're going to play cootie catcher with you um yeah there really are our, our team members we're looking for silly people that are going to encourage you to play so yes this is a this is a place of things but you are not here to just look you were really here to play
3: well, going back to the South by Southwest thing, one of the most successful ones we had this year was the Westworld installation. Yes, and I thought what elevated that from the, you know, the typical South by Southwest thing was the actors, was mm-hmm. the people who were in these roles and making it more of a, a vibe and a feeling that you wouldn't get just from just yep. being thrown into a space and oh we'll just walk around and just look and do whatever.
6: Yep.
7: And, yeah. Yeah. No, the people are really the heart of it, and uh, so. I've been going to a lot of events like these over the past couple of years. Um, I've gone to Neverland. I've crawled through tiny hallways in Dante's Inferno. I've gotten inside a shape shaking airship. I've infiltrated um, a, a Rococo uh, French Revolution party. And, I mean, they're amazing. I, I've done many of these and it's feelings that I don't think people get to access a lot. Mm-hmm. So to, to stimulate that, and I, this is a huge trend is these immersive spaces like uh, uh, escape rooms escape mm-hmm. rooms have had a really hot had a hot minute uh, Disney in their next Star Wars theme park will be incorporating a lot of interactive theater where you'll be invited to kind of go on these journeys mm-hmm. um, So yeah just like the West world I, I kind of want to unlock for people that you know West world's not a f- well it is a fantasy <laughs> but but those interactive experiences are not, Inaccessible. They're here and they exist today and and you can be part of them. It almost
4: feels like an extension of we've got this video game culture and this Instagram culture, but these kinds of spaces invite you to just invite you into that and to experience it so that you can make your own memories there rather than just sort of live vicariously through the avatar that you play or the double tap like that you give somebody. Take this memory with you. And I'm a big fan of selfies, actually. I think that selfies are a far cry from... 30, 40 years ago where women were behind the camera taking pictures of Mm -hmm. their families and a family, a woman might have three pictures of herself in adulthood. Yeah, I would way rather us have 3,000 pictures of ourselves than only have three.
3: So. Uh, so, Rachel, what's gone into the construction of all this? I mean, you, I, we have a full crew of people you're working, that yeah. we're doing this, and artists and, and artisans, and well, there's going to be a pop-up shop. You know, that people uh-huh. will be able to buy things. So, like, how how big a crew are you rolling with these days?
7: <laughs> well, uh, uh, let me talk a little bit about our core team. Um, one of my first acquisitions, I actually found her through Instagram. A lot of this has been done. Through Instagram, so I, I cruised around Instagram, lost an artist, and I found Kara Witten, uh, or pardon me, Kara Witten. Well, oh, sorry, uh, Kara Witten. Kara Witten is uh, she owns a site called Kalo Chic. Um, she does DIY and crafts. She works with amazing brands like Mars Candies, Oriental Trading Co., um, Joanne Fabrics. Uh, she has her retail site. Her she has about fifty thousand Instagram followers. As you can see, the crazy colors in here. I, I i'm not a color queen Kara is a color queen so cara was our first team member our second team member i'm sure a lot of Austinites are familiar with the vortex theater um I, I used to live in the ut co-ops i was a i was a hippie co-op kid so i actually tapped into my co-op network it's how i found my lawyer it's how i found my build manager so a friend of mine from the co-op works at vortex theater and introduced me to chris heil who's our build manager um, outside that, you know, we're bringing on a lot of staffers. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't not ignore. Uh, my, my parents have been a tremendous part in this, and uh, I give a thanks to them for creating a childhood that was so good for me that I wanted to create another childhood. <laughs> so this isn't
3: like a rubbing it in their face for not giving you all these things. No, oh. this is um, <laughs> much healthier.
7: No, my parents gave me an amazing childhood, and it was so good that I, I really. I want to relive it and I want to let other people relive it too. So um, yeah, they're my staff members also. It's a family operation, uh, which is great. I love working with sweet. So people will buy tickets online and you reserve a time, correct? Yeah. You reserve a time because we really want to, again, you're trying to take selfies. We really can't have, you know, you you don't want to have 10 people in your way. We don't want a queue to get into the Mm -hmm. birthday cake. Um, So yeah, you schedule a time. We're open Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays from about it's 2 o'clock on Thursdays and Fridays till, I believe, about 9 p.m. And this starts on what date? September 14th. Okay. And cool. right now we're running through October 21st. Oh,
4: okay. And uh, as a person who has a kid's birthday party to plan here in the next couple of weeks, I hear that you're also open to private events.
7: We're open to private events. And also throughout, again, this is an all-ages experience. We're probably expecting a lot of millennials. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I think for millennials and for, Zenny, or, uh, for Gen Z, experiences mean more than things, you know, they really, malls are shutting down. They, they That's not a place for people anymore. They really want to buy into an experience. And so that's why I think Car really came on board is understanding, I, can, I don't just need to sell these things. I can create a space for people mm-hmm. to experience this lifestyle that my customer has. So um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's a part of this trend that, it's not just about things people want to buy an experience and they want to buy being part of something. So they're part of this hashtag. They're part of this movement. Uh, it's my personal goal. I want the men of Austin to be sick of seeing girls on Bumble, with pictures from the FOMO factory That's my Like in San Francisco I've actually had guys Tell me on dating apps They're like I won't date a girl That has a picture From the museum of ice cream Because we all have them
3: Well that's a good way To weed them out
7: Yeah, so I'm I'm like I want every girl in Austin Having pictures here Until like You guys are like Oh not another pinata wall oh.
3: Well Rachel We're looking forward To seeing the final product uh, Thank you for being on the show Now uh, where online Can people find it?
7: The FOMO dot com
3: Thanks for being with us
4: Distiller and Kentuckian Marlene Holmes worked for Jim Beam for more than 25 years and never imagined calling Texas home. But Ben Milam Whiskey, a woman-owned whiskey distillery based in Blanco, convinced her to head south and lay down new roots. Today, with owner Marsha Milam, Marlene tells us why she made the decision to give Texas a try. Marcia and Marlene, welcome
5: to I Love You So Much. Thank you. So I would like to start with you, Marsha. Uh-huh. Uh, you have a namesake in Ben Milam Whiskey. Tell us who Ben Milam is first, and then why you got into whiskey from the music business. Okay.
8: Well, first of all, what I, what I usually tell people is that Ben Milam was not my father, nor is he my husband, <laughs> because I do get that. Uh, ben Milam for those of you who were asleep during Texas history, was a Texas hero who died fighting in the Texas Revolution. To me, that's a short-sighted version of Ben because he was a risk-taker, an entrepreneur. He came from Frankfurt, Kentucky. He was a colonel in the Mexican Army, one-time friend of Santa Ana's, owner of a silver mine, which never produced silver, um, in Mexico and just had this flair for life and a zest for life. And I look at all the territory that Ben covered in his 40-some years, and what amazes me is he did all that without a car or a plane. I mean, the way those guys travel back and forth, Kentucky to Texas, Texas to Mexico. Uh, My favorite story about Ben is he was engaged to a young girl from Frankfort, Kentucky, and he left and went to Texas, Tejas, and Mexico, and he was gone two years. And when he returned, he had a mahogany table for her and some silver. But since Ben didn't write while he was gone, mm-hmm. she married somebody else. Oh. <laughs> so I, always, I understand that because I was raised by a workaholic Uh and it's like just i always tell the guys it's like sometimes you just have to check in right oh my god so so ben was uh i'm thrilled to be related to him the more i've learned about him the more proud i am um ben did not have children and i uh am related to his brother my family is my father's family was from kentucky um, and the way I got into whiskey was from the music business is to me, and this is, I believe anyone would tell you, if you're in the music business, you're in the liquor business. Because <laughs> especially hand in, in hand. Texas, I mean, it's like whiskey, beer, barbecue and music and boots, you know, it all just goes hand in hand. And so to me, it was not a strange segue. I, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier I had the absolute honor and pleasure of going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with Jimmy Vaughn and Double Trouble when Stevie and the band were inducted and I went as their publicist and it was an absolute mountaintop experience for me in that industry and I realized I'm never going
5: <laughs> to. I can't top this. That's it. Did I'm it. done.
8: <laughs> and, <laughs> Bye. And Bye, so girl. <laughs> the next month, I went to the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky. And when I was there in one of these wonderful old rickhouses that's the size of gymnasiums, only nine stories high, um, full of barrels of bourbon aging, it was so quiet in there and it was so peaceful in there and you could smell the wood and you could smell the bourbon, and I realized this is the exact opposite of the way we live today. This is a singular purpose. Nothing is happening here, but bourbon is aging. Right. Can't hurry it, can't make it go faster, can't make it do what you wanna do. And I think in that moment I fell a little bit in love with its defiant, independent spirit, and I also fell in love with the culture of Kentucky.
5: Right, right. Now, speaking of the culture of Kentucky, Marlene, you're a Kentucky native and we're with Jim Beam for 27 years. That's right. So what I'd love to find out is a little bit of the history of bourbon. We were speaking earlier about whiskey's journey from Kentucky down south to New Orleans and the way it changed while it was in the barrels. This is unknown history to me and I'm sure to many of our listeners. So can you enlighten us?
6: Well, it would take a few months for that trip from Louisville, Kentucky, Maysville, Kentucky, to get down to New Orleans. So in that that time, uh, the whiskey would have the opportunity to sit in that barrel, gain some color, gain some of the flavoring, the caramel, the vanilla from the, uh, from the barrel. Mm-hmm. And so folks like they they identified it as bourbon, coming from Bourbon County, right, Kentucky,
5: right, right. And what's fascinating to me is, as a native, you really grew up with this. I mean, from childhood onward, um, not just bourbon and whiskey in your surroundings, but in your baby bottle sometimes. <laughs>
6: What, well, it's referred to as a hot toddy for adults, but yes, it's been known for for mothers and grandmothers. You know, if if they've got a fussy baby uh, with a cold, uh, mm-hmm. to put a little bit of bourbon, a little bit of honey, and a baby bottle. Uh, a, a little
3: bit yeah. of bourbon, yeah. yeah, little yeah. bit, yeah. not a fifth.
6: <laughs> yeah, this isn't a medical show,
5: <laughs> so. Um now Marlene, you got into the industry, you were working in UPS before you got into this line of work. How did that opportunity come your way?
6: Well, through a friend of a friend. Um, Booker No was our master distiller. And Booker was known for always wanting to experiment with different things. And one of the ideals he had, we used our dried grain for cattle feed. And he wanted to know if there was another avenue for that dried grain, so he come up with the idea of fish food. Mm-hmm. So he buys like a thousand catfish fingerlings. Uh-huh. They build a cage. They put these fingerlings in, so they need somebody to feed the fish. Well, that's where I come into the story <laughs> then. And uh, a friend of mine knew Booker. Had talked to him about it. Knew I lived within you know, a few miles, the general vicinity of the distillery. Asked me if I'd be interested, and and I I, I took that opportunity to kind of check the distillery out. I had never been in a distillery before or on the grounds, and one thing led to another, and, and I went to work there. And
5: now you're a master distiller. Well.
6: <laughs> I, yeah I, I i don't know about ma i'm still learning a lot there's there's still things to learn about the bourbon business now is it a male-dominated industry
5: this question question is for both Marsha and marlene um would you to say that it's unusual what you're doing having female leadership in this space or no um it's
6: it's changing when I started in 1990, mm-hmm. absolutely. I can remember uh, seeing a, a photograph in one of our conference rooms. We had a training class, and that photo was a picture of, of the manager and the staff, and there was one female <laughs> in that picture, and there was a, a, it was a group of 20, 20 people. Right. Nowadays, um, that's changed. There's, other, uh, there's a lot of females in Kentucky right now that uh, are master distillers or head distillers. Getting into the business? Yes.
5: I actually want to pivot to um, Omar for a consumer question. Uh-oh. Omar, sir, are you a spirits drinker? Like, do you have a favorite spirit among all there is to offer? Not just bourbon, whiskey, but um, vodka, uh, tequila.
3: I'm, I'm really easy. Like, I I like everything. I mean, there, there's very few liquors that I avoid. You know, I'm not one of those people that had a bad tequila experience and I'll never drink tequila again. <laughs> I don't have any of the stories like that. <laughs> Uh, but I like everything. I like bourbon. I like whiskey. I like vodka. I like gin. I like pretty much everything. You know what? Let's just go drink right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. Oh,
5: okay, great, good. Uh,
3: in fact, why? You know what? Why don't we go do a taste test like right now? Like we will leave leave the Statesman premises. Okay. Have a taste test, and we'll come right back and talk about it. How about that? Perfect. Wild idea. Right. I know it's crazy, but l- why not?
8: Let's go. Okay.
5: Okay, so we are going to have a taste test with some Ben Milam whiskey. Um, What I've come to understand is distinctive about this particular product is its smoothness, so it's accessible to your lay spirits drinker. You don't have to be a connoisseur necessarily to appreciate this. This is not some, like, like brand advocacy on my part. (laughs) I happen to like bourbon a lot and find it generally smooth. But let's put this to the test. So... um, Marsha or Marlene, would one of you do the honors of opening
8: this bottle for us? Certainly. <clears throat> My pleasure. Beautiful label. First of all, I'm going to take off the gold medal neck tag, wow. simplifying the gold medal that we won at the World Spirits Competition <laughs> in 2017 and 2018. Congratulations. Thanks thank thought I'd get that in. <laughs> and... Da da da! da. <laughs> yes.
5: <laughs> well <Okay>. done.
8: <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna drink this neat, and then if somebody wants it, put a splash of water in it. But we feel like to really know what the product is like, what our bourbon tastes like. You should start neat.
3: And and real messy.
8: Yeah. <laughs> Omar, this is for you. Okay. Holly, you have yours. I got mine. <clears throat> Marlene, there's one for you. Thank you And what we like to encourage people to do is nose it first. don't stick your nose in it <laughs> but just <laughs> kind of blow over the glass.
3: my nose and- I- I mean, right in it yeah.
5: <laughs> that's you why that. the ex- experts need to clarify for us
6: <laughs> with, with your mouth open
5: i'm I'm listeners, I want to describe to you what the true experts are doing right now, so it's an underhanded grip and it's um you know about nose about an inch away from the glass and not blowing so much just inhaling it it's fragrant enough to where you yeah don't have to have nose directly in
3: i feel like i'm getting a distinct odor of of liquor
8: odor (laughs) perfume (laughs) (laughs) notes of liquor notes notes there you go (laughs) notes of bourbon and what's so fascinating to me with whiskey is i i was a and I still am a red wine drinker. And red wine, you know how good red wine opens up over time? Mm-hmm. Whiskey does the same thing.
3: Well, I'm like, oh, sorry, go ahead.
8: As long as you give it, as long as you don't just shoot it and you <laughs> give it time.
3: Well, I was going to say, I, I was joking, but I, what I really am smelling is, is kind of a little smokiness, a little bit like almost um, like, a, like a rosy, flowery kind of scent. Is that is that unusual? Do I have a weird nose?
8: Everything no. is subjective. Yeah. See, to me, what I smell is
5: like a maple or some kind of caramel, like some sweetness that, might be that, the sweetness that I'm to me is yeah. the hallmark of bourbon that makes it slightly easier to drink than scotch, for example. But
3: if I'm inhaling really deeply, it's almost like a peppery, like a smoky peppery hmm. scent I'm getting.
5: So, okay. So now after all of those adjectives, are we allowed to drink it?
3: Yeah. Have right we now? properly nosed <laughs> yeah. our okay. way through?
8: And you want to talk about how to drink it, Marlene?
6: yes just a, a small taste to start with okay just and, and hold it in your mouth okay for a few seconds kind of roll it around okay on your tongue in your mouth and then swallow perfect so, here we go bottoms up mm.
5: okay so listeners while Omar is still swallowing I'm savoring, savoring, let savoring let me his... This, please. <laughs> so. There's definitely a warmth that you get from mm-hmm. drinking any spirit. A tingle. Yeah. yeah, but this one to me doesn't have that um, like eye squeezing kick that drinking like a gin or even a tequila would have. There's a warmth here that makes it a little bit more tolerable than some harder edged spirits.
3: And I got that cho- that kind of chocolate caramelly yeah. flavor you- more from tasting it than from smelling it. Right. Yeah.
6: Right. If you hold it in your mouth like that a few seconds, it allows all different parts of your mouth to pick, you know, sweet, or sour, mm-hmm. a sour, you know, different uh, tastes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's recommended to, you know, just hold it a few seconds, and then the second taste that you take will be even a little bit different, but more fine tuned.
5: Okay. All right. Now, so now we're now that we're enjoying these um, samples. Can we talk a little bit about, um, Marcia, about methods that people would use to drink this? Like, would it be sacrilege to have it over rocks? Would it be just a shame to mix it in a cocktail? Like, how do you recommend people enjoy bourbon in general? You don't
3: want to put this in a Red Bull, probably.
8: (laughs) Not really. Um, You can buy something else for that. Um, I like it. I like it on the rocks. And um, a lot of people like it neat. Some people like it with a splash of water. There was an article um, that they proved scientifically water helps bourbon, helps whiskey open up. Uh, Marlene, who is more familiar with the industry than me, says people should be able to drink their whiskey however they want.
5: I like that open-minded attitude.
6: However however you like it.
5: Marlene, you have a favorite. Say someone just is not ready yet for that straight alcohol experience is there some kind of um you know lights additive that you would recommend going in there besides water that someone who's newer to this world could still experience and appreciate the character of the spirit well,
6: well i think water would be the best thing to do but also uh i will see people at times with, at a tasting or different uh any place with a shot will we'll just Drink the whole thing, and right. that and that's too much. There again, right. you know, you want to ease into it. Take that small sip to start with, and and hold it in your mouth, and uh, and and take it from there. I, I think people rush it too much right. a lot of times when they when they try to drink it for the first time.
5: Okay, all right. So um, last question to um, wrap up the interview, I want to ask about seasonality when it comes to spirits. Because I tend to think of summer as your light spirits time, like your vodkas, your gins, like fruity kind of cocktails. And fall, to me, signals like rich, brown, caramely cocktails. Is that like, why do we think that? (laughs) Why is that something that we've grown up with? Is it because you can have a hot toddy and you can enjoy these types of spirits warmer? Or what, why is it that we associate it with seasons? And give us a good argument for appreciating this on you know a
6: hot august 104 degree day like today maybe (laughs) well to make us forget our surroundings (laughs) well back home uh apple cider is is a good drink there you go and to heat apple cider and put a shot of uh bourbon in it or Mm -hmm. whiskey in it is Mm -hmm. is wonderful and for cool fall weather yeah there again for the holidays and this is one of my favorite is eggnog with right put yeah cinnamon on top with uh eggnog oh that sounds fantastic it, it's wonderful yeah, yeah it's heat it like, up a little bit it's almost mm-hmm.
3: like I, I saw the austin east ciders uh the, sp- the spiced cider right like it's too early it's too early for that no totally. it's summer i don't want that yet <laughs> i don't no. want that that warm you know like cinnamony, you know taste in my mouth yet
8: mm-hmm. i think uh because bourbon and whiskey it does warm you up you know you can feel it go down the throat so i think That's why people equate it more with a fall and winter drink. And I think traditionally that's true. We do see now bourbon and whiskey is so popular that people are still drinking it in the summer. We had Saturday at our tasting room. I don't know how hot it was outside. We had the biggest day we've ever had. Wow. And we were releasing a barrel proof that you could only get a distillery. It was 114 proof Marlene 112.
6: 112.
8: 112. And Marlene found it. And I love the way she talks about whiskey. Because she, she was sampling barrels, she and Jordan. And uh, Marlene said, the caramel in this barrel just jumped up and hugged me.
5: Oh, so,
3: so I
8: also it, like that description. You know, a
3: warm Olaf hug. That, that's <laughs> bourbon right, right there.
8: And so instead of instead of finishing that or proofing it down based on her suggestion we just left it exactly it. it is it is put it in a bottle promoted that some on facebook and here it was hot and this is a high proof bourbon we had our best day ever so i think people appreciate whiskey in the summer
5: right right okay all right last question i promise um so the distillery is in blanco texas how can people go there and visit if they're intrigued enough by this interview to go taste that caramel, to go have that summer bourbon sipping experience? When are you guys open and how can they do a tasting?
6: Yes, we've got a tasting room that's open Tuesday through Saturday from 11 to 5
5: p.m. Okay, terrific. And do they have to schedule anything board. in advance or just well, walk right in? Just show up. Okay, yeah. great. Sip some bourbon with Marsha and Marlene. And, sounds great. Right. And,
3: and you I imagine you can get this at your spirit store near.
6: Yeah, Yeah.
5: we're in the majority of liquor stores in Austin. Cool. Awesome. Well, Marsha, Marlene, cheers. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thank you.
3: We're just going to step outside and finish these up. (laughs) Right. Right, Tali?
5: Right. The moment in our show where we have a toast. This is where we go around the room talking about things that we think you, our listeners, should be into. We've got some special guests back joining us. Say your names, guys.
1: This is uh, Dennis Burnett from uh, Director of Tacos of Texas and Mando Rayo, the taco journalist. And
5: awesome.
3: Mando and Dennis will be on a future episode, so stay tuned for that. But for now, they're with us for our toast for this week.
5: Thanks, guys. Uh, okay, I'll kick it off. So I am watching a new show on Netflix called Dark Tourist. Have you guys heard of this what or it, seen it pop up on your I Netflix
6: seen feed? about four minutes of it.
5: Okay, so it sort of fills a niche that Anthony Bourdain left, but the focus isn't food. It's a, I think he's a New Zealand journalist named David Farrier. And he has a travel show, but it's all focused on quote unquote, dark tourism. So he's not going to like uh, Bali or Boca Raton or things like that. He's going to embed himself in a death worshiping cult in Mexico or uh, tourists soaking up radiation left behind in Fukushima or vampires in New Orleans. Like basically he seeks out this sort of underground line of travel that really does exist which is people going for um, like dark underbelly tourism. So there's not a set-up tourism, but people just have this morbid curiosity about these certain locales, and then he goes there. And what makes this show work is because, A, it's freaky and interesting, but, B, he's so funny, but in a really low-key way. So whenever he's interacting with his handlers, he just has a personality that kind of add some buoyancy to the experience. you know. So anyway, I totally recommend Dark Tourist on Netflix. So yeah, that is my toast. Who would like to go next?
3: Dennis, why don't you go? All right. Well, uh, recently I got back from a wedding in Brooklyn and we've all been there. It's about three and a half hour flight and I was scrolling through the Delta movies and three identical strangers popped up, heard a little bit about it and then watched the whole thing without falling asleep. And it was, fantastic of the whole debate nature versus nurture and they're uh, not to play a spoiler alert but there is a local celebrity writer who spills the beans on a few things that a few things that makes it even better so check it out three identical strangers
5: cool i've heard such good things yeah. about that awesome uh mondo tell
1: us yours all right well this weekend um i was at an art show so you've all seen the um, the stencil art around town that we've had here for years. Um, the guy behind that is Federico, or he goes by El Federico. Um, he had an art show. And he does a lot of great pieces around, um, you know, the the Virgen de Guadalupe, the one that's, you know, over by the Tortilla Factory off of East 6th uh, Street. He does a lot of iconic, whether it's um, music or uh, culture related stencil art and he'll all actually go to your backyard and stencil that guadalupe for you
5: i it's, didn't know that it's, it's
1: yeah it's great he does he you know like the, the the old tower records yeah all that stencil art that's him too you know so it's oh, been cool. around for for years
5: and you're talking about the milagro tortilla factory on the east side yeah exactly
1: yeah. exactly okay. and so so from i want to give a shout out to federico
5: awesome love it Omar fantastic. what do you have
3: fantastic well I saw a little uh, indie movie you might have heard about um, that um, you know getting a little bit of attention uh, called uh, Crazy Rich Asians
5: oh yeah <laughs> holy crap is it this, so did you love it this
3: movie is so fun and, and here's the thing like it, you know there's it's making quite a bit of money which is fantastic it's got uh, an all Asian cast except for like maybe the first two minutes of the movie and uh, you know it, that's fantastic and great and, and gay you know representation but it feels like it's, it's almost become like homework to go see it as far as like you know we have to support you know this efforts and we have to make sure that this movie does well don't go see it for that go see because it it's just awesome it's just a really fun uh. frothy great beautiful to look at movie it's just so fun it's like uh, it's the perfect sort of summer rom-com you know bright colors and amazing food and genuinely funny jokes and like it's just a really fun ride and great movie and you know, yes, it's important that we support this movie. It's important that this movie do well, but go see it because it's just a good movie. It, I had such a blast watching it. It's yeah, fantastic.
5: I think. Well, I also think the timing of it is important, too, not just because it's summer, but I, I feel like we're all just craving some lightness and sweetness mm-hmm. right now. And it's it seems like it's exactly funny that
3: and bright and, and just, you know, you, the movie I had just eaten like a gigantic meal before I walked in to see this movie. I saw like an hour after I ate this gigantic dim sum meal, and then I'm hungry again watching the movie. Like this this food is amazing. I want all this food on the screen. Uh, So just, I mean, this sometimes when movies come out and and you know they're held to this like cultural importance. Yeah, it's like you start resisting seeing it because I don't. uh." That's me
5: and Harry Potter. Yeah, the cultural importance thing. But sometimes sometimes the bandwagon is so like weighted down that I refuse it.
3: Yeah, when you feel like you have to go see a movie because you are expected to, it's like. Don't I mean? Don't go see it for that reason. See it, just yeah. it's a you will genuinely enjoy this movie. If you have a pulse, you will like this movie. <laughs> Even if you're not into romantic comedies, then see it for the other reasons. But it's it is really just I had such a good time watching it, and I want to go see it again because it was just it made me happy.
5: Oh, awesome! Well, Mondo, Dennis, Omar, thanks. Great toast everybody. Thank thanks,
3: guys. Ooh. Appreciate it.
5: That's our show. She's Addy. He's Omar. I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin and talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher.
4: It helps other people discover the show. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from features editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
3: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This podcast is brought to you by Hilton Austin.
4: We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your pumpkin spice whatever's. Until next week, we'll see you catching one of the few last summer swims at Deep Eddy before fall takes over.